Today is February 16th. Welcome to Native Calgarian. Native Calgarian is being recorded on the lands of the Blackfoot Confederacy. The Blackfoot south of the imposed U.S.-Canadian border are the Blackfeet. North of the border are the Siksika, Ganai, Bagani of the Confederation. These lands are also on Treaty 7 land, signed September 22, 1877, with signatories that include the Blackfoot Confederacy, the Stony uh, Nakoda, which are the Wesley, Chiniki, and Bearspaw Nations, and the Sutina. We acknowledge all First Nations, Métis, Inuit, status and non-status across Turtle Islands as the keepers of these lands. Koki, Mekoches Chestakomaki, or Red Thunder Woman in Blackfoot. My spirit name was given to me in ceremony and my humblest apologies to the Blackfoot elders and language keepers as I tried to learn proper pronunciation. I honor the Blackfoot. My name is Michelle Robinson, and I was born in Calgary as Michelle Elliott, a very English name, which has afforded me privilege in an English colonial world. My name, or my mother is Northern Slavey Dene, or Satu Dene, but my Indian Act and Post status card from the Canadian government says Yellow Knives Dene. My father is so Canadian that I am a daughter of the Mayflower and a daughter of the American Revolution, while having an Indian Act and Post status card. I acknowledge my Dene lineage and that I was born in Calgary, but my family is not part of the Treaty 7 signatories. My Dene lineage roots me in the land of the Hare people, also called the Great Bear Lake people in Treaty 11. I am a native to Turtle Island, and my Dene nation is a visitor to this area of Klincho Tine Indahe in Satu Dene, meaning many horse town, named after the Calgary Stampede. In Blackfoot, uh, we call it Malkinstis, and I'm always tapping my elbow when I say that. It's like automatic. You can't say Malkinstis without tapping your elbow. Land acknowledgements are critical to creating a safer space for Indigenous people, as well as honoring the host as the guest. Any mistakes or misinterpretations will be on me. I encourage questions so that misunderstandings can be cleared up as soon as possible. I do not speak on behalf of all Indigenous, but I share what I go through as I walk my red road. If you're experiencing emotional distress after anything we talked about today and want to talk, call the First Nation and Inuit Hope for Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. It is toll-free and open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Non-Indigenous, there are distress lines in your area too. My Patreon account is Native Calgarian, where you can pledge and support. Thank you to my previous donors for already showing your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. To those that cannot not afford to give in, or not can afford, bleh, for those who cannot afford to give, but listen in, I'd love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com where you can send in your comments, questions. We are also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Uh, I want to give a shout out to my super loyal donors, Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, uh, Jocelyn, Judy, Kenna, Leah, Marisa, Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa, and Veronica. So today I've asked my uh, friends here in Calgary that helped organize Shutdown Canada to join me on the phone. So we may end up getting um, a couple of folks, I'm hoping. But for now, I wanted to introduce my friend on the line. How would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Heather Lucier. Uh, my mother is Cree Métis. And my father is Métis and Ojibwe. I am currently a registered member of Scownin First Nation in Manitoba, which is part of Treaty 2. Cool. I was born in Saskatchewan, uh, 
My mother's family goes back to Red River Métis. My last name is Lucier. And um, I'm a settler here on Treaty 7 territory. Wow. That's a great introduction. Thank you for joining me, Heather. Uh, happy to be here. <laughs> well, I'm really happy that uh, you wanted to join us. I think that we're hearing um, our, our other friend that's about to come on the line, and I don't want to speak for them. I'll let them introduce themselves once they uh, once I hear a hello. So, Hello. <laughs> hey, how are you? Good. I was like, I should let her finish her sentence first. <laughs> yeah, no, that's so kind of you. Do you want to introduce yourself? I just did, uh, so, like, I introduced me, my name, my lineage. I did a land acknowledgement, but you, I, I don't want to speak for you, and I don't want to give a name that you might be uncomfortable with me giving. Okay. So um, my, I guess, English name is Katie. Um, my native name is Tra Declije Zika. And I myself, I am Métis and Blackfeet and a 60 Scoop survivor. And I actually recently realized that I'm the fifth great granddaughter of Chief White Bear out of Treaty 4. So that's kind of awesome. I'm still <laughs> learning to get to know my family. So I mean, every time I come across little tidbits like that, it's definitely exciting just to know how connected to everyone else that I know that I am. So it's kind of cool. All my relations means a whole lot more once you re- go down that road, hey? <laughs> oh, completely. By the time you get into your fifth grade grandparents, you're already at like 100,000 cousins and you're like, shit, I'm related to everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it is so bloody true. Oh, my goodness. Well, Heather, Katie, thank you for being on Native Calgarian. I really appreciate it. Um, I think a lot of people have been asking me questions about the Wasutuan um shutdown that's happening all across Canada and I just was lucky enough to be on the CBC the other day but really and truly it is a team effort in order to organize that and I wanted to bring in uh, you both and and maybe we talk a little bit about the action that happened here in Calgary and why it is you're so committed to this and and just kind of let the conversation evolve from there. Sounds good to me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do you want to go first Katie? (laughs) Sure. So for myself, I actually, we, I think this sort of speaks a little bit into Heather as well. We sort of just fell into the idle no more role. So for myself, it started when I started looking for my family mm. and I started reconnecting with ceremony and prayer and that led me to my family. And then we had, I was like, you know, we need to do something like there's all of these things like the child welfare crisis amongst our people where there's still the millennial scoop going on. And for me being connected with being a 60 scoop survivor, I was like, there needs to be awareness mm-hmm. of exactly what's been going on behind the scenes that the normal Canadians aren't aware of when it comes to indigenous issues. Mm-hmm. And we got started um, with um, the resistance campaign, which was um, a movement that was bringing awareness to the framework bills and the the underground workings there and how it threatens sovereignty of some nations. And we wanted to bring awareness to that. And with that, it sort of spiraled into us getting asked to organize with Idle No More because they didn't have any contacts in the Calgary area that they could um, reach at the time. And we just, it sort of just took off from there. But the Wet'suwet'en issue on its own has been brewing for several years. And I know my very first shot at organizing was actually a Wet'suwet'en solidarity movement mm-hmm. last January. So not the one that just passed, but in 2018. And we had 14 people show up outside of City Hall and we handed out pamphlets in minus 40 weather 
Mm-hmm. And that was sort of where we really got educated on what was going on in the Wet'suwet'en and how the Chiefs had been trying to consult and doing all of this stuff to try and save their pristine ecological areas and their ceremony grounds and everything else from getting destroyed by pipeline or the man camps and stuff that are associated with those. Mm-hmm. And it really was eye-opening that this stuff was still going on in this day and age in Canada right. where people's voices are being silenced. And for me, I think that was the biggest part was we have no right to silence anybody. Yep. Everybody is entitled to say, no, I don't want that on my home. Mm. So, mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah, no, I'm. I, that's a great intro for sure. Uh, Heather, do you want to elaborate on anything you heard there? Um, I want to say, I think things for me got started in the original Idle No More movement. Yeah, I wasn't organizing back then, but it really kind of woke me up to a lot of things that uh, have been going on. And I've, I've educated myself as an adult on all of the issues such as the 60 scoop, the millennium scoop, residential schools, and um, land issues, uh, the white paper, mm. and the Freeman Agreement, uh, the uh, framework agreement. Do you want to and, elaborate on any of those at all? Um, <laughs> well, the 60 Scoop, my children's father was part of the 60 Scoop. Mm. And it's it's been an issue with me as my son really is really proud to be Indigenous. And I, that's something I'm really happy about. But at the same time, there are limitations because growing up as a Métis, I did not grow up in my culture. That's something I've reconnected with as an adult. And I do not have the languages to pass on to him. Mm-hmm. And with his dad being 60 scooped as well, he does not have the ceremony, the language, the culture to give to his son either. Mm-hmm. And so that's that's a really big issue for us where we're working to reconnect with those things as an adult. Mm-hmm. And, and it's of... hard sometimes as an adult, isn't it, Heather? Like I know yeah. for myself trying to reconnect. It's, it's hard, especially when you are 60 scoop and you don't know your full lineage. Cause I can speak to my own adoption paperwork and it pretty much said you're Indian, non-status, Scottish, American, and French. Turns out my American is Blackfeet out of Browning, Montana, but they didn't put that in any of the government paperwork. Mm. Um, so for me, it was always a question of I didn't even know to who which people I belong. Yep. I knew I was Indigenous, but I didn't know who my people were. Yep. So finding that out, I had to literally find my family to find that out. And then it's another connection after that and another connection after that that you have to sort of search out because... <clears throat> our families have been destroyed by the colonialism that has happened in Canada. So many people don't go, but don't even know their generations. And if you do, you're very, very lucky and you're fortunate Yep. because of all of the things that have happened. So a hundred percent. My yeah. God. Um, also I've learned more as an adult than I ever did in school. Mm. And I think a couple sure. years, two, maybe three years ago, when the Colton Ver- Bushi verdict came down, was really, it was really a, a turning point for me. And that's when I kind of got a little more involved in organizing. Yeah. When those rallies came to, I helped to organize some of those around Colton Bushi and Tina Fontaine and 
I just wanted to be more involved and take more action Mm. because it was it I was surprised how much it really hit me personally because I don't know those people but it really hurt yes when those when those verdicts came down and I just the sense of injustice really just struck me and I felt like I needed to do something well and I know I don't know if you wanted to share this so we can take it out if you want to but we're all mothers and I think it's really hard when we see our kids, um, you know, when, when something like Colton Bushi or, or Tina Fontaine comes out, I like it. I, I want to like burn down buildings almost. I have so much rage in me that somebody would do that to my daughter's generation. I, I can't even explain how upset and hurt and painful and traumatizing it is. Yeah, that resonates with me, too. Like everyone's always like, well, why are you doing this? And I'm like, I'm doing this so that my son doesn't have to. You know, our grandparents and our parents and our great-grandparents, they all fought through basically the same issues that we're fighting through today. They might be called different things in historical context, but the underlying cause is still there, and that's the colonization. And it's the fact that our people have been so restricted in rights and through the laws and the whole entire system that is Canada has been set up against us since it was formed pretty much. And when I look at my son, I'm like, I don't want him to have to be out in minus 40 weather, handing out pamphlets, trying to get people to understand what has happened to our people. Yeah. You know, I want the, the history to be more transparent and I want these things to be taught in school. So that way people go, Hey, you know what? This is the underlying cause, and this is all we need to do to make a change in society. Because I think if more non-Indigenous people understood the history that we have all been subjugated to, it's all in our bloodlines. And I mean, we've got DNA evidence now that confirms that intergenerational trauma is a real thing. Mm -hmm. And people stand up and they go, well, why are there drugs and alcohol and all those other problems? Well, those are coping mechanisms for trauma. And we have trauma that is flowing through our bloodline and the trauma that's being put on us in present day circumstances such as the Wet'suwet'en. Yep. I mean, I cried the other day watching that video of the RCMP sniper. I sat there and I was bawling in my living room watching that, thinking, how could they? Yeah. They'd say they're there to watch, but they're watching through the scope of a loaded sniper rifle. Yeah, That's not watching, that's intimidation. Uh, and, and that's scary. I can only imagine the fear of the people sitting on the tower at that moment. Well, And, that's, I, wanted... and I don't want my child to go through that. Same. I uh, I was so angry. Um, I knew we had. I knew I had to have you guys on if I could because we have to address this bullshittery that I keep hearing on the news about. Well, we're a country of the rule of of law. Bullshit, Colton Bushy. Rule of law, but it was also rule of law to be able to take tiny indigenous children away from their mothers and send them to schools where they were raped and beaten. It was also rule of law that they could kill off all the buffalo and try and starve out the nations in order to build the railway that we're, railway that we're now blockading yep. across the country. So what good is the rule of law when it's not just? Right. It, it's what only one way. What good is the rule of law when it doesn't apply to everybody? Yeah. Well, and the fact of the matter is uh, Canada is breaking its own laws and um, with the Delgamuk decision, which... It, entitled the Wet'suwet'en to the right and title to their own land through their oral tradition and histories. Mm -hmm. They don't have the incentive to enforce those laws upon itself. 
when there are incentives coming from the oil and gas industry. Yeah. Well, not just the oil and gas industry. I mean, the federal government itself, through all of the deals and stuff with Harper and everything before Trudeau even got into power, were sort of linked into this thing that they had to sort of build that, and they invested a bunch of Canadian money into it. So now that they've got all these, all this Canadian money invested into this pipeline, they're not going to stand up for their laws in order to stop the pipeline because that's going to create backlash on them. But now it's also creating backlash on them that they're not holding up their laws. Right. So I think they need to, it's at that, you know, this thing where they need to pick a, pick a thing to do. You know, if you're going to continue to push that through, then you're going to have to deal with the backlash of that tail. Because that means the railways are shut down for who knows how long. That's what that means. Yeah. I mean, if they decide that they're going to stop it, which would be the right thing to do, because that would be them upholding their own laws. Then they're also going to have the pushback from all the oil and gas industry and all the oil and gas supporters. Yeah. So I think that that's sort of why we're hearing a lot of crickets from our federal government right now yep. on the issue. And it seems to be the other parties that are talking out and stuff. But the but they're all hypocrites on that, too. Media, right. The liberals have been very quiet. <laughs> oh, yeah. Not only are they quiet, but then the other parties are just hypocrites on the whole thing anyway. And it, it just it makes well, me so it. angry that all these colonial parties, you know, talk about reconciliation. Like I shared this uh, statement that came out from the prime minister's office and it's a beautiful statement, but I know it means fucking nothing, nothing. You can talk all you want about what we need to do, but they're not doing it. They're not doing any of that work. And, you know, so we're seeing Colton Bushy, Tina Fontaine, all of these broken promises over and over and over again. Like, well, and that's just it. Like I had an elder say to me one day, he was like, well, what does reconciliation mean to you? And I mean, I was raised in the white world with English as my language. So to me, reconciliation means that you say you're sorry and then you do everything in your power to change from those things ever happening again. So what good was the 60s scoop apology when they're still going in with the millennial scoop and scooping babies into foster care? To me, that was a direct, okay, but you guys don't mean anything, you know? And now they're like, oh, well, we're sorry, but you know, the courts are upholding this decision and they're passing the buck to everybody else. Okay, but enough with the apologies. We want action. We want you guys to stand up and mean the words that you're saying. Put that action behind them. I love the apologies and they're beautifully written. And I mean, they make you go, oh, finally, you know, they're listening. But how well are they listening when they're not willing to implement the very things that they're apologizing for into never happening again? Right. Systemic change. Why is that so difficult? Why is that so (laughs) painfully difficult? Come on. You know, like we I are literally that, living that um, genocide, but here they get to dance around the idea of what systemic change is. I think that what we're doing, what's happening across the country with Shutdown Canada right now, I really feel like it's a precedent setting what's going on right now. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And I think it, it's become somewhat bigger than just the Wet'suwet'en, and it's become more of an Indigenous rights movement. Yeah. Which oh, definitely. It started I think as people are in order to oppress our people. And that's basically the basis of all of our issues is that they are violating their own ways and their own things in order to oppress us for monetary gains or different th- different agendas that they have. And it's all of the youth and all of the people that are standing up right now are saying no more. Yeah. And that's definitely a precedent change like setting. It's something that we've never seen on this scale here in Canada before. 
And I think it's pretty awesome to see all of the people, even non-Indigenous alike, that are standing alongside the Indigenous that are finally waking up and saying, hey, you know what, this isn't right. You shouldn't be treating people this way. So I think that's kind of, in a way, it's got a silver lining to it. <laughs> yeah. Heather, did and you that's want one to... of the reasons I think that these demonstrations are really important to come to be had here in Alberta, because a lot of people Definitely. look at Alberta and they point us, paint us all with the same brush and say, oh, Alberta loves oil and Alberta is all for the pipeline. But that's simply not true. There's yeah. a large following of people here and in Edmonton and across the province that are totally against what's happening with the West. They had a little rally in Red Deer. Yeah. So, I mean, it's not just the major cities that people are starting to stand up and say, hey, you know what? In Alberta, no, not all of us do support oil and gas. I mean, we understand that our economy is supported largely by oil and gas here. But in the grand scheme of things, Heather looked it up for a school project and we only oil and gas only contributes to three percent of Canada's overall economy. Mm, great point. And so I think in Alberta, we're, we're very blinded by the fact that our economy, that percentage is much higher here because we are in oil and gas land. But it's, it's easy for us to go, oh, well, it's, it's everything. But when you look in the big perspective of the great landmass that is now known as Canada... It, oil and gas really doesn't make up that big of the economy. Mm -hmm. I mean, most of our energy exports are coming from hydro and other sources that we're actually exporting on the international market. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it's important for Albertans to realize that, that we can switch to other sources of energy and we could be just as profitable and we could actually be helping Mother Earth rather than hurting her. Yep. So. Heather, did you want to elaborate any more on that? Um, I can't really think of anything at the moment. <laughs> I, I but, stole her, uh, out of her school paper. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, for me personally, my kids are a huge factor into why I do these things. Because yeah. the truth of the matter is nobody owns the land. Yeah. We borrow the land from future generations. And I feel like I want to leave something that's livable for my children and my future grandchildren and generations to come after them. Mm -hmm. And I yeah. want to be able to look at my kids and tell them that I did everything I could in my power to make that a reality for them. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Mm -hmm. it's like, like Autumn Peltier says, you know, I want to be an ancestor one day. Yeah. You know, I don't want humanity to get to the point where there's no sustainable living and things start going really haywire in, a, in like a one or two, three generations tops. I want to be able to say, Hey, you know what? We put a stop to this and we started to like nurture mother earth again. So that way I can be that ancestor that my great, 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 great grandchildren connect with. Like I have with my great, 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 great grandparents, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And I think that's the thing too. A lot of non-indigenous <clears throat> people don't connect with. Because a lot, like, they come from other places. And a lot of the times, like, most of, like, my white family or my white friends, they're like, oh, well, I know that this ancestor came to Canada in this year. But before that, they don't know anything. They know which country they came from, but they don't know their parents' names. They don't know any of that. In Indigenous culture, we go all the way back and we can say, hey, I came from this this person and this family line. And this is, like, 
you know, that's my cousin from this and this and this. And we understand those kinship connections on a deeper level. Mm. And I think that that's an important thing to bring up when we're talking about Indigenous rights is how connected we are Mm -hmm. and how that connection inherently connects us to the land because we've had these teachings brought down to us. And in today's day and age, people such as myself who are reconnecting to that, it's a lot to learn, but it's actually very easy to learn. If you go in with an open heart and open ears, you can get those connections back. It's not something that's completely broken forever. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't really get grasp that concept Mm -hmm. and i think that maybe there's we need to start teaching more amongst the non-indigenous communities as to what a connection to the land actually is and how you know how connected we are because we've learned through our ways how to watch nature Mm -hmm. like you ask there's always that joke that you know there's that meme that goes around that's like Natives be trying to get into a car accident driving down the highway because they see a hawk or an eagle and they're watching it. And they're like, that's me. I'm natives. Right. But that is it's those are the things that we stop and take wonder. And we take moment those moments to appreciate nature. And we watch the flight patterns and how they're like gliding through the air. And that's to us beauty. Yeah. And, and you know, lay and tobacco think, is a thank you for that moment. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Like we give thanks for that because we understand that that is a teaching moment coming from greater powers you know mm-hmm. whereas a lot of people these days we're in such a rat race of society that they don't understand to stop and make those connections mm-hmm. and that's all coming from the corporation corporatized corporatization of our government and everything else everything in our society is run on corporate money and corporate values pretty much in this day and age well, and then when you link that back to everything that's happening, it makes a huge difference in the like in the just the culture, mm-hmm. you know. Well, and systemically, they they brought up all of our laws and everything based on English and Christianity, so that that way, you know, what our idea of spirituality and connection is is way segregated differently than what they not only expect of us but have set up the system to be conducive of. Oh, for sure. And even in just the way history was written. I mean, you like you read um, the journals and stuff of the white men that came because there's historical record of that. And they paint us all as savages. You know, they're like, oh, the savages were doing this or the savages were doing that. So there's been this narrative since before Canada was even a country that we are less than human. Mm -hmm. And that's still continuing into today's world Mm -hmm. in little tiny ways. Mm hmm. Agreed. Yeah, I talk about the Darwin era scientists who actually um, had this like chart that showed the whiter you were, the most evolved human you were, and the darker you were, oh, the more of a savage and I'm an anthropology to... major, and Darwin yeah. was an idiot. I'm just going to put it at that. I mean, his, his theories and stuff like that, some of them have come out to be, I guess, true, like evolution and stuff like that. They have, you know, evidence of different archaic bodies and things like that. But a lot of what he said was so entrenched in racial racism. prejudice yep, absolutely. and racism. That's what I was that, trying to get to. Yeah. You know, yep. when you look at it, I mean, there was this whole era, like when you bring it into like the African-American communities, there was this whole era where they spent time actually measuring people's heads yes. to try and prove that white people were smarter. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I'm like, how does that even make sense? Like looking at it from an anthropological standpoint in today's day and age, it's ridiculous yeah but at the time that was science yeah exactly and and it was clouded with racism and eugenics and here we are 
as a result. And then they set up the structure on, you know, North American soil in the way so that we would continue, um, you know, dying basically. So Heather, I wanted to bring you back in because you were talking <laughs> uh, more about, um, you know, some of the things that really got you passionately, you know, following the Red Road and getting you more into activism. And I just wanted to let you kind of finish some thoughts there that we may have uh, kind of rambled off on. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> uh, well, after the Tina Fontaine and Colton Bushy verdicts, and also after the birth of my daughter, Raising an Indigenous female in today's climate, it's a huge responsibility. And I felt that I had to do something, what I can do possibly to make things better for my daughter mm -hmm. with missing and murdered and the statistics of us just being Indigenous, being six times more likely to encounter violence or to be murdered. Mm -hmm. It, it's scary that that's our everyday reality yeah. and the racism that we face daily. It's, it's very scary to live that way and worry about not just my daughter, but my sons facing that. Mm -hmm. And so my kids are a huge part of the reason that I got involved and continue yeah. to be involved. Yeah. And when it comes to things like this, when it comes to climate, I received a teaching where there are four levels. And unlike uh, Eurocentric views, humans are not on the top, we're on the bottom. Mm. Water is on the top level because no life can exist without water. Yeah. And then the second level are the plants because the animals cannot live without the plants. Mm. And then the third level are the animals the fish, the bugs. And then on the bottom are us because we cannot live without any of them. Yeah. But they can all live without us. Right. What a great teaching. And, I and love I that. I take that to heart because there's even a show where it shows what would happen if humanity died out and everything survives. Yeah. And I feel like because that's where we are, we have a responsibility to look after those things. Well, and if we're going to start talking about science again, if we claim to be the, you know, smartest species, then why are we making the dumbest mistakes? Exactly. Um, well, and I think that's where it ties in with youth, especially figuring that out for themselves and not just Indigenous. Yep. With Greta Thunberg and... Extinction Rebellion and Fridays for Futures, there are, people are waking up to the reality of the situation we're in. Yeah. Because oh, for sure. And I think science is sure. showing that we're coming close to a climate emergency where there's going to be no turning back. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. we should be treating it like an emergency. Yeah. Because this is our planet and we don't have another one to live on. Nope. Nope. No. And that's the thing. And as Indigenous people, we've always been protectors of the land. We've always, it's in our core principles. Like you talk to any elder about teachings on like harvesting medicine or hunting or any of the things that are sustainable, like our sustainable life ways. And the biggest thing that they always say is don't take more than you need. Mm -hmm. And 
that really plays into it when we're looking at what's going on on the larger scale because every all of this stuff it links back to mass extraction of some sort you know or mass production of some sort or Mm -hmm. those sorts of things is what's killing our planet Mm -hmm. it's our greed essentially that's killing our planet Mm -hmm. and then when you look at what's happening in the wetsoatin that's all over mass extraction they want to move the things that they've mass extracted to other things for profit Mm -hmm. to other places for profit that's essentially the purpose of a pipeline Mm -hmm. so they're willing to kill off entire pristine ecological ecosystems over there, as well as cultures mm-hmm. and an act of ethnocide against the Wet'suwet'en nation for the profit. Yeah. But those profits aren't going to feed us. Nope. Those profits aren't going to be able to buy food that isn't there. Yeah. Those profits aren't going to be able to buy cleaning drinking water when we've run out. Yep. You know, and people need to put that into perspective. Like what, like if maybe this isn't affecting our generation that we will still have these things. But what about our great-grandchildren? Will they still have them? You know, I find that a really difficult conversation with non-Indigenous, though, because they don't care. They legitimately don't care about their grandkids. And that I think that's been one of the most hurtful things that I have seen come from the older white generation, where they were indoctrinated into this belief system, this ideology, that somehow if they had enough money, their grandkids would be okay. But we can make all the money in the world. But if they can't drink water, then here we are, you know, um, yeah. you've given your grandkids nothing as a legacy. So um, I, I, it bothers me a lot. And I wanted to just because I, I think, Heather, you brought up that, uh, um, you know, you're talking about other organizations that we were partnering with. Did you want to talk a little more about um, what it took to organize the event that we did? Because you guys did most um, of the work while I was in Mississauga, and I've been really open with <laughs> folks about that, but um, I just want to make it clear on the on the podcast too. Well, this is not the first time we have we have strong connections with Fridays for Futures Calgary and Extinction Rebellion Calgary, and, awesome. and we've actually had a couple events where we've worked with them in the past, and we have a really good relationship with it some of their organizers mm-hmm. yeah. and when the call out came we talked to them and they were in and we have regular contact with them and my friend Sarah from Extinction Rebellion Calgary said it really well when she said we don't hate people who work in oil and gas we hate the oil and gas industry sure Because when we are fighting for the earth, we're fighting for it for everyone. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And I, like, I talk a lot about uh, systemic change for Indigenous human rights. Well, literally what we're talking about is uh, systemic change for the rights of everybody and and Mother Earth so that the nature in general is, you know, allowed its space. Um, and I don't know if you both know this, but I'm like second generation industry. So I used to draft wells and pipelines. And um, like because my dad was a boilermaker, worked up in St. Crude, I know we could totally make major changes in the industry that would, you know, just help the world. But the systemically, it doesn't have a reason to change because the government doesn't enforce any of the actual regulations that they have. And 
the companies are like, but I'm already making millions, so I don't really want to make any changes. So well, and why would they want to spend money to make changes when there's no need on their end because they're just sitting back and collecting their money, right? You know, like and having this like false belief in giving them an alternate route. You know, they don't want to take that because then they're going to have to diverge funds from what they're going, and it might be a bit more expensive, so their profits aren't going to be as high, right? And that's the really sad reality is it all goes back to the money. Yeah. Every single one of these issues goes back to the money. Yes. And that's, I think the hardest part for me fighting through a lot of these is how do you fight a battle with that? Right. How do you make it so people wake up and understand that money's not going to be able to save you or your family when it comes down to the time where mother earth gets so angry that everything implodes on this world yeah. and people start not actually dying because of these changes that we have brought on as humanity. Yeah. Money is not going to have any value then. None. I find this argument a little bit ridiculous because the fact of the matter is the oil companies themselves know that a lot of these pipelines are not economically viable. Look at Kinder Morgan. They couldn't dump the Kinder, the Trans Mountain pipeline onto the Canadian citizens quickly enough. Once True. they finalized that deal, they up, they moved all of their holdings outside of Canada mm-hmm. because they know that it's not an economic moneymaker. Yeah. Well, I mean, they say even with this other pipeline, there's what fifty guaranteed Canadian jobs at the end of it. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, yeah, we'll have a small push in our economy while it's getting built. But what happens after it's built? And there's only 50 jobs. Well, is it really worth the futures of all of our children for 50 jobs? Right. And at the end of the day, we already have a trillion dollar industry of abandoned wells and pipelines that are already polluting just the land of Alberta. That's not even including the tails ponds that are in the north um, by you know, Fort Mackay and Fort McMurray, that area, that's not even including that. Um, And for me too, like something that's always bothered me that I know we're we're not really talking about it. And especially with the Wasotuin, um, you know, solidarity efforts that we're doing, but nuclear energy has always been a real thorn in my side because that's like literally millions and millions of years of, of waste that everyone's a-okay with and we're not having a conversation about that either and um so from me from my point of view like I well they're now starting to try and dump that on indigenous communities back east yeah well they not only are but have been so like my family is from northern um you know like really far north and the uranium extraction resources that they did actually caused the Dene to uh, start ceremonies Every um, time that they we recognize uh, Fukushima and uh, Hiroshima because they not only were exposed to radiation and died themselves, but also have immense shame for being a part of any type of extraction that may have killed the amount of people it did. So there's there's that as well. Um, and that's something I think about when we do the remembrance here. But, you know, again, it's it's really hard because and I, I have a deep respect for, you know, Sarah and for Rose because they seem to understand giving Indigenous people speak uh, space to speak. But a lot yeah. of the established, you know, Green Party people or environmentalists that are here are like, what do you mean Indigenous people are still here? 
let alone have rights, let alone have concepts that we could learn from. So I find yeah, well, one thing that absolutely. Push, yeah. One thing that we did push in the beginning when we first started up with the I don't know more coalition with them was we had this little pamphlet that went around. And one of the facts that was on there was that indigenous people hold 4% of the entire world's land mass. And in that 4%, we hold 80% of the world's remaining biodiversity because our culture and our ways doesn't take more than is needed. And we nurture Mother Earth and we live in in like complete balance with her in our cultures and our ways, like as indigenous people. And I think a lot of the climate allies that we have, once that fact hit home to them, they were like, holy crap. Okay, indigenous sovereignty is the key to the solving the climate crisis, because if we can get the lands back into the people that know how to care for them and know how to nurture them, we can turn this thing around. It's the solution. And I think that oh, that hit home with a lot of the people in Calgary when we were handing out those pamphlets, because after that, we had so many climate allies that were like, whatever you guys need, tell us we'll be there. We want your voices heard. We want you guys to have this platform. And I think that sort of helped them understand the connection between the Indigenous and the land and how it all connects together with the same things that they are fighting for. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um I just wanted to give people who might be listening for maybe the one and only time uh, some background too on Idle No More, because um, I I don't want folks to get the wrong impression of what Idle No More was and is today. Um, yeah, Idle No More absolutely. was first yeah. down, started by uh, C- Cynthia McAdam and three other women about, um, you know, trying to make a movement to a lot of the awful things Harper was doing to Canada at the time. And that really launched a lot of things. And and just to give history for Treaty 7, um, the women here, there was Autumn and Wendy and Kelly and um, Twyla and um, Kimberly, Kimberly Weaselfat. And they all actually went under ceremony with the elders and, you know, had to go pick the rocks and to have ceremony, work with the elders in order to launch Treaty 7, um, you know, Idle No More here. And then... Over the course of time, um, you know, it's exhaustive work. Uh, it's You really get depleted with this. There's lateral violence. There's, you know, violence from the non-Indigenous community. And it evolved. Uh, there were uh, a few urban activists like Chantal and Cheryl and uh, a few others that kept it going. And now it's evolved into a new generation uh, with, with Katie and Heather here. And, you know, so I just wanted to give a bit of a background there so that everyone knows kind of the evolution of Treaty 7 Idle No More for this area. Is there anything you both want to add to that? Um, Maybe that we're not funded because that's one thing that has been going around like wildfire on social media right now is people are like, oh, they're all funded. And I mean, me and Heather ourselves have heard everything from we're funded by George Soros to the Rockefellers to all these other YouTube conspiracy sounding things. And we're not. We're grassroots. We are basically indigenous women that have decided to stand up and say we are idle no more. We are not going to allow these issues to just be swept under the rug. These need to be known about and talked about amongst indigenous and non-indigenous alike. Mm -hmm. And it's not funded by anything. It's something that we're doing because we're passionate about it. But there's a lot of misconceptions, especially right now with the shutdown Canada movement as to we're being funded by all these crazy places and that we're being set up to do this, to work 
as a tool for some sort of organization. And that's not it. We're not, I don't see us as an as Idle No More as an organization. I see Idle No More as a movement. Mm-hmm. And it's a movement that people have jumped on board with very passionately because the name itself says it all. I don't know more. Mm-hmm. We're no longer going to sit down and allow these things to happen to our people. In the winter we danced. Heather, do you want to add any more to that? Um, I think that it really ties in because of the way this has become bigger than the Wet'suwet'en specifically. And I think that people are, it ties into Idle No More because a lot of people across Canada are standing up, not just for the Wet'suwet'en, but for Indigenous rights. Because I think that was more in the spirit of the original Idle No More, was centered around Indigenous rights and Mm -hmm. the lack of sovereignty. Mm -hmm. The government's lack of Mm -hmm. consideration into those rights. Yeah, there are inherent rights were and have always been ignored by the Canadian government, right? Exactly. And I would ask non-Indigenous people to look up, look into the Delgamic decision and to look into Section 35 rights spelled Mm -hmm. out in the Constitution. Because we are not doing this to be radical. Mm -mm. And that's the thing. All of these. uh, Well, especially in B.C. too, they just brought in under the BC legislation, UNDRIP. And Section 10 of the UNDRIP is very clear. No forceful removal of Indigenous people from their homes. And, I mean, there's other problematic things with UNDRIP that we're kind of aware of. But if you race it down on that and the fact that the BC government was willing to accept that into their legislation, they're they're breaking their own provincial laws on top of the um, federal laws that they're breaking through the Delgamuth case. Mm Do you want to add to that at all, uh, Heather? Um, I lost my train of thought. Oh, sorry. I'm sorry. My ADHD barging in. (laughs) No, I'm glad. I want to give you both space to to speak because everybody else gets to... I mean, I really and truly annoy myself on my own podcast. I'm like, shut up. Just get off. Um, (laughs) So it's really just great to hear it from other voices. And I think, too... um, you know, for folks that are tuning in or listening, um, oh. it's important for them to hear, you know, your perspective and, and where you're coming from on a lot of this, because, um, you know, it's my perspective is my perspective. And if I'm tired of listening to me, I mean, I'd love to bring in more guests to talk about it from their point of view. And I just remembered what it was. Please continue. Okay, good. Yeah. The actions happening across Canada are not, we are not being radical. We are peacefully protesting standing up to protect the land and water Mm. and indigenous rights yes and that's something i feel like we're being painted as these radicals but that's not the way it is no all of these movements are completely peaceful yes i saw one comment the other day and i know i need to stay out of the comment section because it's just honestly it's draining on my spirit but there was one comment and they're like they're so radical they cover their faces well no the reason we need to cover our faces is because there are white supremacist groups and there are other organizations and stuff. And a lot of us are moms or dads or we have children at home and we're protecting ourselves and our families by covering our faces. It's not that we're these crazy, like, radical people that are going to go do damage and all this stuff. We're walking in our ancestors' ways and our ancestors told us to walk with peace and to walk with prayer. Well, and we are committed to that. If it wasn't for but the elders... 
I mean, you I know, would have taken up have arms be... for sure <laughs> because right? I'm, I'm white and I think that way and I'm sorry, but you know, from my point of view, a lot of times when I hear, you know, Colton Bushy's murderer, like point blank killing him execution style, or I hear about what that guy up in uh, Cindy Gladue did to her. Holy shit. Like, honestly, if it wasn't for my elders telling me, you know, we got to come at oh, this I'm from right a peaceful point you. of view. I'm like, fuck that. I mean, They've I'm done a, nothing but killed us. People literally took up arms. So yeah, for me, you know, for me, it's like, oh, my God. But at the same time, the elders told us to walk with peace and prayer. Well, and and same with I, I don't know more. Look, they told us, you know, it, we have to stay peaceful. And it's like, OK, stand peaceful. Yeah. When and even what we did, we were peaceful. And we, we yeah. work really hard on, on that. And we have relationships with the police and yeah. work really hard on that. Yeah. But there's a piece of me that's like, you fucking killed one of our women right where I worked, point blank, because you guys who have fucking guns feel afraid of our people when we're unarmed. Like, uh, what kind of racism do you have to have embedded in your DNA that you can look at an unarmed indigenous woman and be like, yeah, I'm totally going to fucking shoot this woman. How is that even like in reality? It's for ridiculousness. Folks? Yeah. And it's, it's like, if that had been anybody else, had that been another member of society that was non-indigenous, it would have made national headlines. Yep. You know, but here we got what our little local piece in a few of the Alberta newspapers. Yeah. You know, and, I think a lot of people have a hard time understanding that that is systemic. You know, it goes right back into the whole, let's sweep everything under the rug. Like, I know myself, when I was talking to, like I, like I said, I'm 60 scoop. I grew up with a white family. And when I've talked to some of my white family members just about some Indigenous history, the misconceptions that the government and everything else portrayed to the non-Indigenous kind of, like, people they were all lies mm -hmm. they should be pissed off that their government lied to them too mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. i think that if people really knew the reality that was going on in the residential schools they never would have continued as long as they did right but people were like oh they're going there to get an education to learn how to read and write and they get christmas well in no, cbc like they actually did like propaganda films to show that like see look at these great natives being taken care of and unlearning their savage ways so they can be more like us and be productive members of society and it's like oh, yeah like the worst propaganda bullshit ever by not acknowledging yeah. who we are as people what they're doing is illegal and that's the whole thing about this rule of law that's just pissing me off like if you and i took a car and went through a bunch of yellow vesters you're damn right i'd be in jail forever but it's okay because that driver was afraid as if that's somehow acceptable that they, you know, were going to hurt people, protesters. And I, I will never understand how people can justify these contradictions. And then for the exact people who were like, oh, you know, Gerald Stanley was afraid. So we totally understand why he execution style killed a sleeping child in the back of a car. Um, why is it OK for Wasutuan to not take up arms then? You know, like, I, I just have a real problem with the way uh, Canadians just seem to drink this coffee away. Like, oh, it's fine. Let's watch NHL and not really listen to the contradictions here. And um, back to what Heather was saying, I really like the way that she framed it more of a human rights issue and Indigenous rights, inherent rights issue, because it is. And it has been. Well, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So I know Why Heather. Kool-Aid. 
right? Do you want to elaborate <laughs> at all at, uh, on anything we just said there, Heather? Uh, no, sorry. My daughter came in and I had to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's okay. Hashtag mom life. <laughs> yeah, no, and that's just it. Like, uh, the kids come first. And I think that's another thing that, uh, like, and I know the first I don't know more group here experienced it. And you guys experience it sometimes too, where it's just like, you know, kids are first. So when, you know, a flu bug goes through the house, so, well, then our activism, you know, has to kind of take a back seat over that. Right. So, Oh yeah. Yeah. Like the other day we were supposed to go down and support um, Fridays for future and extinction rebellion. And we were, we had a bunch of people that did come out on our end and I was supposed to be there and my son got sick and I was like, sorry guys, I'm dealing with a kid that can't get out of the bathroom at the moment. Like <laughs> there's like, sorry, but I don't really think that bringing him down to a crowd of people in cold weather is going to make the situation any better. So we're going to have to sit this one out. Totally. You know, totally. I've yeah. been uh, stepping back myself a bit because between my four kids and homework and just the emotional toll, I've just needed a little bit of a break. Yes. Just to recenter myself because well, it's been so much. It's, I always thought it looked like great, like people know who you are, you know, and it's, it's really actually very exhausting. Yes. Oh, so exhausting. I swear after this is done we're all going to just go on a vacation, like a vacation out to the bush and just go and hang out in nature. And we saw like, I'm down to stay there for as long as I need to, mm-hmm. because it it is, it's very exhausting. And I don't think a lot of people understand the amount of work and time and energy it goes into between finding people that are willing to come out to drum. So that way we have that fine, getting the awareness out there that we're even having an action um talking with people online and through social media like avenues all of that takes up our time Mm -hmm. so we're like me and heather we're just actually laughing about this earlier today that we've never had our phone has seen this much action before it's like i put my phone down and i look and i've got 15 new notifications yeah and i mean as awesome as it is it is very exhausting on the organizers it's very exhausting on us to get to the point i know most of the time after we're finished doing even if it's just like a little rally somewhere and not even something as big as our monday shutdown turned into um at the end of it me and heather are both like okay phone's off for two days we're just gonna lose at home with our smudge bowl (laughs) and i mean heather you're a superhero in my eyes i mean you're a full-time student who's getting freaking amazing marks which you know we got to like shout out and give a little bit of a proud moment for her and yeah like way to go and she's also a single mom holding it down with four kids yeah and she's still putting the energy into this totally so that's how rooted these issues are in our spirit that we are willing to take that time from our families and from our lives to do that and we were getting a lot of criticism in the media, like, oh, who are all these people that they have the privilege of having that time? We don't have the privilege of having that time. <laughs> we don't even have that time. I don't but know if you guys so... caught me on the CBC, but they actually yep. got me laughing at Andrew Shear the whole time. I, I can't even believe he would have the audacity to say something so stupid and don't uh, I laughed so hard. I was like, this is satire, right? Like, like, I literally, when I first read the first news article that I read that had Andrew Shear's quote, I literally thought I was reading something from Walking Eagle News. Like, right? I was like, I had to check the source. I was right? like, this is a satire. And I was actually shocked when it wasn't. I was like, this <laughs> MF, because I'm not going to swear on your podcast. You can. It's fine. Like, you can totally okay. swear. Well, this yeah. motherfucker right here needs to sit down and realize yeah. that he's walked around stores his whole entire life without having people walk and follow him. 
he's walked around without people staring at him yeah. his whole entire life. Yeah, no you concept. Know? No Indigenous concept. people don't have those privileges. <laughs> I myself have what I call white privilege. I pass as white. So I notice the extreme difference when I'm out with one of my full-blooded cousins and how they're treated. Like, there was this one time just here at Eau Claire Market, me and one of my cousins went, we met up to take the kids to the playground there because it was cold out. And the kids got off the playground. They were being wild. They are being kids. And I mean, my kids running around after her kid, her kids running around after mine. Me and her are both trying to wrangle them in and get them out on the playground because, you know, mom life. And this lady walks up to me and she goes, oh, your son's so adorable. Look at how energetic he is. My son also passes away. Then she looks over at my cousin who's sort of standing further away from me. And she's like, you people need to learn how to watch your damn kids. And it was just like, both of our kids are playing together. Yeah, We are here together. Why the difference in the treatment? And there's no difference between us. We're both moms and we're both students and we both live awesome like lives where we try and like be be positive people. Yeah. Except for the color of our skin. Yeah. And I think that people like Andrew Shear don't understand that. They don't understand that they even hold that privilege. They hear the word privilege and they think it's some sort of monetary thing. Yeah, well, but it's a part of gaslighting to take term terminology from the victim. And, and that's so what he did was actually like textbook gaslighting. But on top of that, I, I'm going to also say, because you kind of said it earlier where you talked about, um, you know, we're not funded. And I've been actually telling people like that it is actually gaslighting there, too, because like I know because I'm I have like friends, family in the industry right now today. And when Rachel Notley was premier, when Justin Trudeau um, was trying to get reelected, they were literally given signs from their bosses told to take time off work to go down and protest. So they literally are paid to protest for their industry. Whereas we are here we are with a call out on our I don't know more Facebook page saying if you want to donate to the cause, here's our email address. Totally. You know? Totally. So, yeah. I printed those signs with my own money. <laughs> well, and that's the point. Like the the fifty dollars that you might be given should go exactly to that where it's like, okay, I'm sure you spent, you know, twenty five dollars on poster card and markers and the very least that people should be doing is you know, giving back to you that little bit. Um, you know, how many times did we rent a speaker for some of the actions, whether it was reject tech or whether it was something else? Like, um, and, oh, and that's sure. not that... even including the, the um, you know, r- ribbon skirts you have, the drums. Like, somebody gave me their drum and it was broken. And I'm like, this needs replacing. And that's yeah. not cheap. That's $200. No. And yet, you know, people can't even be bothered it's like, well, I kind of wanted Timmy's coffee. Um, but I do want to say this too. One, I want to thank you both so much for the activism that you're doing. Because I'm that older person that's exhausted. That I'm like, <laughs> I don't know what kind of fucking energy I can give to this anymore. And um, and the other thing is too, part of the reason why I have the podcast and that I share on the internet is that I don't have fucking patience and time anymore to repeat what I've said in, I don't know, episode 62. You know, so I tell people if they're like, well, Michelle, I don't know what to do. I'm like, okay, look, we got, I have a free podcast. I have a free book club. 
how many Indigenous authors are out there, how many Indigenous podcasts are out there, how many Indigenous people are doing regularly free, open to the public, you know, ceremony. It actually pisses me off that Justin Trudeau can have a headdress while we have Indigenous workers like yourself who are like doing the good hard work who don't have headdresses. So it, it, these things bother me that your son... Uh, doesn't have an eagle feather for promoting his culture and, and having that pride. That bothers yeah. me, you know? So for me, when people are like, oh, you guys are all paid, we're not paid, um, <laughs> you know? And I start every conversation I have with, one, I pay taxes, and two, I didn't get some free university education. Not that we should ever shame anyone who did get some money, but the point is this, is that they think that we have all these benefits we don't. And that's the irony is that, back to the gaslighting terminology they use terminology like they have special rights no we don't have special rights we have oppressed no. rights. <laughs> you know well, <laughs> yeah. the special rights or oh well you guys are just waiting for more government handouts i think that ties into the thing too people don't understand no. what the indian fund is and the horrific amount of genocide that went into the money that is now in there and that continues you know? today yep and it continues today. Yep. And what do Indigenous people, if they, if they do have status, if they haven't had their grandmothers disenfranchised or, you know, married outside of the nation and lost that, I mean, they're starting to correct those laws. But INAC itself is, is backed up on all of that because of all of that. So it's that's another issue right there. Yep. But when we go into that, if you do have status, your treaty money is $5 a year. Yep. In this economy and with this inflation... Like I've said to so many people, oh, wow, are you ready to go get your pack of gum? You know, yeah. because there isn't this big amount of funding. And the bands that do do funding at like Christmas time and other things like that, that's for money that themselves as a band have earned. Right. You know, yeah. or have gotten in other ways, you know, through different legal things. Sure. But it's not government handouts of taxpayer dollars. Right. Not a single penny of Indigenous money comes from taxpayer dollars. Right. Thank you. And so... I think that's another big thing for people to really start to understand because I've seen that a lot, especially through the Wet'suwet'en situation online is everyone's like, oh, look at them. They're just looking for another handout. Yeah. No, they're not looking for a handout. They're looking to be able to live off that land and drink the water that's going through their land and yeah. raise their babies there with their traditional values yes. and teach them how to run a trap line and teach them how to can a hide. Yeah. So that way we don't need to be contributing to all the other things because they just want to live in their traditional ways. Yes. Hallelujah. Heather, do you want to add any more? Yeah. <laughs> Preach, sister. <laughs> She's silent and strong. Right? But that's, and that's why I take the back end of organizing. I'm not really a big speaker. I know, but I, you know, part of the reason why I was glad to have you on the podcast and I'm like, I'm just going to push you guys until is that I really want people to hear your voice and I want them to hear the work that you're doing. And I know, like I've seen every single organizer in this city be treated like a bag of crap. And I, it, it just pisses me off to no end. And that was part of the reason why I wanted you both on the show was so that everyone knew how much work it takes for you to do what you do. And like, I mean, I've been on our chats, like my phone blows up. I get like 50 notifications if I put my phone down for an hour. So like, it, I, I just want people to understand the gravity of the work that you're doing and, um, you know, trying to do and, you know, trying to manage so many things and, um, and hear your voice and yeah. hear your perspective of it. Cause this is, you're, you're taking the torch right now. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I being like Métis and mixed and growing up that way, I was always I always identified more with my indigenous side. But at the same time, I also grew up with a lot of lateral violence for not being Native enough mm. and not being white enough. Mm. So I think that's just something I kind of got used to. And I'm actually finding people are more accepting of me in this past decade than through than it, through my childhood, definitely. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like, I mean, for me growing up in a full white home, I was a lot darker as a child. And it stood out and people used to come up to my adoptive mom and be like, oh, how nice of you to adopt an Indian baby. And the words that my mom spoke back, I think, are a great foundation as to who what made me me. But she used to look at them and say, no, I adopted a baby. Mm -hmm. This is the baby that I got. And this is the baby that I love. Mm -hmm. You know, she didn't set out just to adopt an Indian baby. Like they made it seem like they made it seem like she'd gone to the pound and picked the the saddest puppy at the pound. And she was, she made sure that they knew that I was a human being and that I was her daughter. And for me growing up with those kinds of experiences, it really just shows sort of the general outlook on indigenous people. Like we're almost pitied and we don't need pity. We're strong, amazing people. We need people to listen to us and respect that we're strong, amazing people Mm. and that we want to live in our ways. Yes. We don't want pity. We want people to actually like see us as human. Right. Yeah. Resilient. We're still here. Yeah. (laughs) Right. We're still here. We're not going anywhere anytime soon. I read a statistic the other day that said that we are the fastest growing demographic in North America. So shout out to all the Nietzsche's that are like throwing it down during powwow season and all that because <laughs> we're getting all the babies out here. And that's an amazing thing to think about. I did my part with four. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, you, you got your four. <laughs> Uh, well, I don't know if you guys know my story, but one of the reasons why I got so political was that I experienced racism at the Peter Lougheed. And, um, when I had Sam and that really traumatized me actually. But the upside of it was I worked with man mate Bular, rest in peace. And uh, his mommy was, or his mom, his auntie was uh, a midwife. And because of that, he understood when I talked to conservatives, all they fucking give a shit about is money. So I talked about the cost effectiveness of midwifery and how, uh, you know, in, in these trying times of our, you know, economy, why it's so important for us to fund midwifery, blah, blah, blah. And he got it done because he was a brand new MLA, a young one trying to, you know, um, make some change. So it's in my daughter's birth story, awesome. but that International Day of the Midwife, from that day forward, when Alberta got funding for midwifery, it was because of my daughter and because of that fucking bullshittery that I had to go into counseling for. So, um, you know, it's uh, one of those things that I know Darcy wanted to have more babies, and I did too, but I just, I don't have it in me. And when I see any mom who has more than one, I'm like, fucking hats off to you. Okay. <laughs> I, like, I have my one, and he's six, and he's, like, having a full-time job all on his own. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> no, like, me and Heather, we always laugh that we have mommy Tourette's when we're on our phone calls with each other. Like, me and her are so close. We're, like, sisters. So we're on the phone together all the time. Yeah. And we'll be talking about something, like, it could be organizing or whatever, and all of a sudden they'll be like, put that down! Stop pulling your sister's hair! Totally. You know, and it's just, yeah, that comes first. Us yep. as parents, it's like, yep. and one of, like, the indigenous teachings that I know on children is that, they are a gift to us. 
Yes. Children do not belong to us. They are gifted to us for us to care and nurture for them. Yeah. And when you put that into perspective, that is a huge responsibility and it is a huge gift. And once you start appreciating your child like they are a gift, yes. oh my God, the amount of smiles and laughs and love that you get through just realizing that they are a gift to you, yep. it makes everything else have a purpose. For those and who, that leads right back into why we're here doing what we're doing. And for those who are who listen to my podcast more than one time, you know at the end of every one of my shows, uh, when I give thanks to my daughter who chose us, that we are honored that she chose us and that we are blessed to learn from daily. This is what that teaching is coming from. Those sentences I say in my, my intro and my exit are based off of teachings like this that she so eloquently just said. So thank you for bringing that up, Katie. And because uh, I, I, I'd love to elaborate on some of this stuff, but like, here's the, I'll just give you an idea. The kind of feedback I get is like, why do you got to go through this all the time? Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, why don't you just fucking not listen then, ass? And, you know, like that kind of, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Yeah. So but anyway. it's because these are the things that lead to the issues. And people, we've said them a million times. I'm sure there's people that have walked before Heather and I that have said, hey, we're here for our children. Yeah. You know, that's a common theme amongst the indigenous people that we're doing this for our children and our grandchildren and our great grandchildren. Yeah. And everything. And I mean, when you look at anybody that stood up for Indigenous rights throughout history, children are quite greatly a cause of it. Well, and I know? think one of you had said it earlier, where it was like, we are borrowing from the next generations. Like that's yeah. like when you that have a worldview that looks that way at life, that changes your quarterly asset earning uh, projections and how you're going to like, if that's all you care about, you're not going to look at seven generations from now right? Yeah. Well, and that's just it. Like for me, myself, I mean, obviously we have to work in order to get money in order to sustain in today's society because of everything that has happened. But for me, money has like no meaning. Money is paper. Yeah. You know, what has meaning to me is the fact that we can sustain ourselves and that we have life and like taking my son out on the land and seeing his face light up when he sees all the colors in the tree during the fall and he thinks it's so beautiful. Those are the moments that have meaning to me. Right. Those are the moments where I'm going, okay, my son is actually learning and he's learning the good things in life. And he's understanding that you can get happiness from things that don't cost a dime. Mm. You know, I would way rather take him for a nature walk down in Fish Creek or down along the river downtown and let him like spot a river or like a not a river, so spot like a beaver or something like that and see the excitement and joy on his face. Yeah. No amount of money can buy that moment. Nope. You know? Yeah. My so. kids, they drive me nuts sometimes, but they also keep me sane. <laughs> right. Definitely. They keep you grounded. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely. When I'm having those days where I'm like, why am I even here? What am I even doing with myself? Like, you know, am I doing the right things in school? Am I doing the right things? just in my life choices and things like that, I look at my son and I go, this is why I'm here. Mm -hmm. I'm here to be your mom yeah. and I'm here to guide you. So that way you can be an awesome person when you grow up that will also spread love and spread positivity and show the world that, you know, there's more purpose to life than just chasing a dollar. Mm -hmm. I you actually know? found my own viewpoints changing the closer I got to the red road. Because mm. I've been yeah. 14 years sober from crystal meth. And in the past few by the years, way. I've also quit the smoking weed and I've quit drinking alcohol. I was never really a big drinker. But. Woo, woo, woo. And uh, 
yeah. And I used to want to go to school and study business because I used to want to make a lot of money. But the stronger I got in my sobriety, the more I wanted to help other people because I feel like there are other Indigenous people out there who face the extra barriers when trying to reach health and get better that I've been through and understand and I feel like I can give back to my community that way Mm. and that's also another reason why I do what I do so Heather because we don't really talk because we can't because we're too busy organizing I don't know if you know (laughs) about the White Bison Society but if and when you're ever interested in having coffee over that I'd love to talk to you about that it's basically talking about um, addiction through and healing through the medicine wheel so that's kind of what Darcy and I do on Mondays and Tuesdays I would be down for that conversation as well as well yeah Myself, I mean, I still smoke a bit of marijuana here and there. It's my sort of thing. But aside from that, I'm basically sober. And myself, my own family, like my dad has struggled with addictions on and off for a very long time. And I know for himself, from what he's told me, Mm -hmm. the red road is what keeps him strongest in his sobriety when he gets to the points of sobriety. Right. And I think that having those sorts of like just things that we can point people in the direction to and those teachings that you might have through that would be a really amazing thing for us, especially being in the organizational world to know about. Well, and, 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 I want that just for those, like, because you guys have been working with the Sober Crew, which is amazing. They, they're they're I, awesome. Shout out to Sober Crew. Right? They're so good. <laughs> and I, I wanted to tell them about um, our meetings that we have on Mondays and Tuesdays. But, um, you know, understand, too, that, you know, not everybody wants to go down that road. But at the very least with Heather, like, when she's done her schooling, um, yeah. you know, if she's going down the White Bison path, then... I have to leave for two seconds. Hold on. No problem then, uh, you know, that can be something that we can add to her portfolio and she can just keep doing that great work that she's already doing. So, um, you know, another day, another podcast maybe, but (laughs) yeah, I just, I hats off to you. I'm glad you're doing that work because, um, it's beyond needed. Um, because as we both know, it's all rooted in trauma. And as we all know, the Canadian government doesn't give a fuck about Indigenous. So we don't have any um, support networks for that. And, you know, that's uh, that's a, bo- I don't know, moment of contention for me. So anyway, I don't mean to take space from what you were saying. And I'd love to hear more about, you know, addiction from your point of view. Yeah, absolutely. Another time. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, thank you so much for being on my show. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, is there anything else you wanted to add about the organize, organizing that you've been doing with uh, Shutdown Canada and or uh, I don't know more, Calgary, anything like that? Um, Just that people can support our page. We have, um, I don't remember, I think it's I don't know more Mokensis at Gmail. We accept e-transfers for anyone wanting to support our work and actions that we do. Perfect. And we are also telling people to donate to the Unis Legal Fund. Yes. Wonderful. Good ideas. Thank you. And they they have a really good um, toolkit too for, you know, people wanting to understand more about the Wasutuan uh, issues, uh, what's been happening down at the Unis camp. And, uh, you know, learn more about uh, Delgamuk and why these are such 
interesting times. Like I said to my husband, we have to do a podcast called The Rule of Law because the Canadian officials are saying we're a country of the rule of law. But on the other hand, you know, Cindy Gladue, Colton Kabushi, um, you know, Tina Fontaine, now this guy, right, going through the protesters um, and uh, Delgamuk, like these, if we really care about the rule of law, why are these things happening? But we don't. And that's, I just wish they could be more honest about that. So anyway, anyway. Thank you for being on my show. And I also want to extend an invitation for you to come back anytime, especially if you have anything that's happening that you want to tell other people about. What I try to remember is that um, podcast is one medium. Videos are one medium. Uh, sharing on Facebook is another medium, you know, and combined that gives it strength. So, you know, sometimes we're just hitting a different uh, target audience. And I can tell you the people listening to my show actually aren't as local as they are as international. So they're hearing for the first time Indigenous voices in Calgary, Alberta, Canada, the place that they thought was the land of milk and honey and what a shit show it actually is when you're, you know, trying to organize rallies and talk about issues that are really affecting us so that's why i'm so grateful to have you on the show absolutely thank you so much for having me okay i don't know if katie's back yet i don't think so but that's okay thanks for being <laughs> on the show i appreciate it heather thank you so much for having us both okay i'll talk to you later okay bye bye uh violence is our everyday reality every indigenous generation has faced it uh, indigenous have been talking about the issues, sharing our traumas in reports, commissions, and in public hearings, just so it can be regularly disregarded. No more. Honor their words. Honor the treaties. Listen to politicians and their policies and platforms. If they don't recognize the marginalized in their budget with Gender Equity Plus, if they're cutting violence prevention programs and services, Indigenous education, uterus health choices, gay straight alliances, Know your vote to that party directly negatively impacts marginalized people. Demand that they implement the Truth and Reconciliation Commission calls to action. The recommendations of the Royal Commission on Aboriginal Peoples, the multiple reports on child welfare reform and violence prevention, now the 231 calls to justice from the National Inquiry on Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women, Girls, and Two-Spirit. Denying those reports is a form of abuse called gaslighting. Our people are experiencing extreme racism in the educational justice and health institutions with multiple reports that say the same things. Demand change from election platforms and politicians. If they do not understand colonialism, racism, privilege, and sexism, they literally have zero business running, should be understood by all parties, all local politicians, community organizations, sports, everything. Um, a great article that I said out loud in episode 62 is Truth Before Truth, How Non-Indigenous Canadians Become Allies. Vo violence is my everyday reality. Every Indigenous generation has faced it. That's why I started this podcast, to speak freely, without interruption, without tone police, without leadership shaming, without gaslighting questions, as many people don't want to hear Indigenous opinion, but they sure want to tell their uneducated ones to us. And usually by people who know nothing about Indigenous, know nothing about colonialism, know nothing about the constant surveillance of Indigenous people, our protests, our vigils, and our rights. Just typical microaggressions, people dealing with internalized racism, people who are gatekeepers that survive off the status quo of people who are so in their trauma 
Would they stop people trying to do work and deplete personal resources? Internal and external racism is an everyday reality for Indigenous people. How sad I needed a podcast for a boundary to be heard, but here we are. I hope my daughter and my family will be proud in the future of trying to discuss these present-day issues in a way they can understand down the road. I want to continue by putting cultural safety into action so that you can create a safer space for Indigenous, people of colour, those with disabilities, LGBTQ2+, so that they have a safe space to speak. Look at it as first age for marginalization. So Google cultural safety. And as I've said in so many of my podcasts, do something. Having good intentions is not enough. Take action, make change, do you know, some self-reflection, be aware of your biases, your assumptions, learn from yourself, go out there, you know, <laughs> there's so much information out there, I shouldn't be expected to have to text you back at two in the morning with your question that if you would have just googled it, you would have found it. Anyway, here to help.bc.ca, Indigenous people, what is Indigenous cultural safety, they have a good guideline, racialequitytools.org has a really great, um, resource on internalized racism and then there's um friends american friends service committee has do's and don'ts for bystander intervention so if you see someone being harassed jesus christ go sit by them at the very least you can do um and don't necessarily call the police for a lot of us calling the police escalates the situation so please get permission before you go do do something but Doing nothing is dangerous too. Leaves the um, victim high and dry and it communicates approval. So like every time the RCMP are like, oh, we did our investigation and we didn't find anything, you are giving approval to the murder and killing of Indigenous people. That's just the truth. If you're experiencing emotional distress and want to talk, call the First Nation for Inuit or Wellness Helpline at 1-855-242-3310. You can also text... Um, it's toll-free, open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Thank you to my ancestors, my granny, my mom, what strength looks like through your example. I want to thank my dad for teaching me to be strong and blunt, my stepmom for showing me what a proud culture is through her Austrian family and roots and stepping up to teach me how to be a proud Calgarian. It's through you I am a second-generation proud Calgarian. Thank you to my husband Darcy for producing and editing the show on top of being my husband, my childhood friend, father of our child, and support down the journey of my red road, he's witnessed decades of racism and sexism. To our child, who we are blessed to learn from daily, I'm honored you chose us. You give me daily accountability to be a better and stronger person. And a huge shout out to Katie and Heather for talking more about the gravity of what that means to us as Indigenous moms. My Patreon account I want to say thank you for those who can pledge and support. I appreciate that. A shout out to Adam, Alexandria, Beatrice, Brian, Celine, Diana, Jocelyn, Judy, Kenna, Leah, Marisa, Natalie, Nathan, Phyllis, Rebecca, The Sprawl, Tiffany, Vanessa, Veronica. Thank you all for signing up. If you did one donation or did many and had to quit for financial reasons, please know I appreciate your support. If you value listening and can afford to give, thank you. For those who cannot afford to give but listen in, love to hear from you at nativeyyc at gmail.com. Send in your comments, your questions, and I mean, some I disregard apparently, as you just heard, but um, as long as they're legitimate, then of course I'll answer them. We're also on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. And at the end, I want to always end with, 
you know, I give side eye to those Calgary rabbits. You're lucky I'm not tradish. My beautiful cousin responded, or you'd be in my dish. <laughs> Thanks for listening. <laughs>